glad you're here. Glad you made it. For those of you joining us online, we're glad that you could you could make it. Amen. Welcome. Welcome to Northgate on a Wednesday. We're going to do some teaching, and I've been out for some time. I was able to get back Sunday, but I am uh, excited about the opportunity to teach again. I want to thank Sister Clemens for filling in in my absence on Wednesdays. Thank you. I heard she did a fantastic job, and thank all the staff for keeping things running. If you're a guest here, we just want to say welcome. Make yourself at home. We pray that everything that we do or say would be an encouragement and strength to your walk with God. Amen. Let me make a few announcements. First steps, if you're thinking about joining Northgate, you want more information about membership, First Steps happens in the hub right behind me this Sunday afterward. We had step one last Sunday. Step two is in the hub. My wife will be teaching, I believe. She told me that. And then on Tuesday of next week, which is right before Thanksgiving, we're going to have our night of prayer and communion beginning at 7.30. There will be no service on Wednesday. So this will take the place of our Wednesday evening service. And for all you cooks who are getting ready for Thanksgiving, that will give you extra time to do your best recipes, okay? We don't want to stand in the way of you and, and sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie. It, it's sweet potato pie. I'm just sorry. You know what I mean? Pumpkin pie is a ripoff of sweet potato pie, so just, it's sweet potato pie, so hate to bust your bubble, but that's, that's the way it is. And if my sweet mother-in-law was still cooking, she used to put a little sweet cream cheese on the bottom between the crust and the filling, which made it super sweet potato pie, but you know, hey, you know, she retired, and I understand. I'm, I'm still, I'm still a little bitter about it, but you know what, I'll get over it. She's not getting any younger. She hasn't said she's going to start cooking again. So I better move on. Amen. Smile if you're glad to be in God's house. Amen. Hallelujah. Good to see you. Praise God. There will also be a baby dedication on 12-4. So December the 4th, there will be a baby dedication that Sunday. If you have a baby you'd like to be dedicated or more importantly, if you're a parent that would like to dedicate yourself to the task of raising godly young people, sign up, all right? You can go on, uh, you can email Sister Cheryl Franklin at cheryl.franklin at ngplive.com with their full name and their picture. Or and you can also send that to media at ngplive.com. Amen. How many you have your Bible? Or you have a phone with a Bible on it? Good. Well enough. Let's grab it and let's do a little bit of teaching on a Wednesday night. Yeah, we need that too, don't we? Thank y'all. See, I'm out, of, I'm out of ushers if you'll come. That's what happens you take off for a few, few weeks. You get out of it. Amen. Thank you, ushers. Thank you for the reminder. See, I'm so willing to teach. I'm just going to over, overstep your opportunity to give. <laughs> Father, we're so thankful that we have jobs and that you've provided for us and that you've given us food and health in our body. And as we celebrate those things, we say thank you for all the blessings of God that you've given into each of our lives. We demonstrate that by giving first into the kingdom. And we ask that this money go to help spread the gospel, to help those who are in need and those who are struggling financially. And also, God to provide for the needs of the body of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. Don't forget me. 
There it is. Wonderful. Thank you. Get your Bible and turn to Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, 19. Just one verse tonight. That's all I can handle. I hope you miss me. I miss some of you, many of you, most of you. How about that? I'll say all of you. How about that? Hallelujah. Matthew 28, 19. Go then and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So I want to help you in evangelism tonight. I'm going to do something that I don't do that often, but this is kind of apologetics 101, okay? Because I find that when I talk to people about salvation and when I'm trying to help them, that all of us have accumulated some knowledge from different places, right? And sometimes you get to the point of making a decision and somebody may say, well, I'm kind of confused and I don't know, grandma says this and brother so-and-so says this. And and one of the things I've heard sometimes around baptism is, I'm just going to stick with the words of Jesus. I'm kind of confused about this. I'm not quite sure. And so I think, you know, and I was thinking about Brother Williams because I know he does uh, the end time Bible study. And I've done it before. And I've had people nod through the whole thing. And then I got to the salvation package. And then there was a, (laughs) you ever get that sometimes? Yeah. Or it's like, wait, well, yeah, that's great, but, you know. And I'm almost persuaded, but, you know. And I found this, when it comes to baptism, there's this, we're going to just stick with the words of Jesus. Jesus said it this way, we're going to do it the Jesus way. And I'm going to show you why that's problematic, okay? I'm going to show you exactly why that's problematic tonight. And I hope that helps answer your questions about the validity and the power of baptism. Father, we ask you, Lord, to minister through the word and through the teaching of the word and encourage and strengthen the body of Christ. And those who may have questions may still have doubts. Help me make it clear to them so that they can step into right relationship with you and feel confident that they are following the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you're seated. So, yeah, I've, I've had this experience where we're, we're talking along, we're doing good, I'm getting the head nod, and then it's like, well, I don't know about that, you know, I don't know about that. And it could be, it could be a reasonable objection, it could be just sometimes it's conviction and I've got to step forward into obedience and I'm not comfortable with that. And so I've had people say, you know, about baptism, I'm just going to stick with the words of Jesus. Well... But let's, let's think about that for a moment. And, and you'll get people all over the spectrum. Some will assert that Paul's teaching conflicts with Jesus' teaching. And that uh, Peter or others didn't follow what Jesus wanted them to do. And so the question is, can this position be supported logically? Because what you wind up doing by saying that, that sounds like a great defense. And you've batted away all objections by just saying, we're going to stick with the plain red letters. Well, I got news for you. When the Bible was in the scroll, there were no red letters. That was a later edition. That we thought to mark off the words of Jesus. But when it was a scroll, there were no red letter editions, okay? And by the way, by putting them in red letters, you tend to infer that the others are less important. They're all the word of God. 
So I don't really like red-letter editions because even the Old Testament is the Word of God. But we're trying to set something off as priority, and I think it's fine for what it is. But I think a lot of people, when they need to be following God into the light that they have, will step back into one of these postures. And so the first thing I always go back to is the Bible. I don't want to argue from apologetics first. I want to go to the Bible. So we need to know what Jesus said concerning the words of his apostles. That's where we need to go back to. He declared that if we believed on him, we would listen to his apostles. That the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone, and he had some truth, and he gave it into their hands. And we have to continue in their doctrine steadfast, right? So in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, he says this, Remember that I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, speaking to his disciples. If they kept my word and obeyed my teaching, they will also keep and obey yours. If they're my followers, they will continue to follow you. They won't deviate from you. If they've truly fallen from the heart, they will continue as you teach them and carry on the ministry that I started in you and in the church. So that's the first one. Maybe even more specifically is John 17 and 20. And it says this, neither for these alone do I pray. It is not for their sake only that I make this request, but also for those who will ever come to believe in, trust in, cling to, rely on me through their word and teaching. So you have to understand that Jesus went to the cross, paid the penalty of sin, but left the continuing work of the church in the hands of the apostles. Without that, there is no continuity. There is no church today. We are built on that foundation. They got it from him. He taught them for 40 days after the resurrection concerning things, concerning the kingdom of God. And he taught them. And we have that record in the gospel. So, if Jesus' words are taken as authoritative and Jesus told us to listen to what his apostles said, then it is a false dichotomy to pit Jesus against Paul or John or Peter or anyone else where we think they may diverge. So, that's what the Bible says, all right? That's the biblical perspective. Now, let's think logically for a moment, all right? And this is where the apologetics come in. If we cannot trust that the apostles accurately taught the people what Jesus himself taught while he was on earth or what he taught them by divine revelation after his ascension, why should we trust what they wrote concerning Christ's teaching and deeds in the Gospels? This is the problem with this objection, is the Bible evidence shows that everyone in the New Testament was baptized in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord. That was the practice of the early church, okay? But a lot of people will say, well, I'm just going to go with the words of Jesus. Here's the problem. Jesus didn't write an autobiography. Someone else wrote what he did. If you can't trust what they did, how can you trust what they said he said? You start to unravel the whole thing. 
That's the problem. Now, it, it's great in an argument, and it may stop the process, but ultimately, you're undermining the very fabric of the thing that you have to have for salvation, and that's a trustworthy witnesses. And the Bible says that even one of those men were eyewitnesses of a resurrection. They saw a dead man, and they saw him live again, and they died for that testimony. It is irrational to think. There's only two solutions to the problem of the resurrection. This is where I always go with people who have doubts. This is where I go. I was standing uh, at a golf course, and a guy asked me, what's the big deal about Christianity? And I said, it's the resurrection. He said, why would you go there first? I said, well, that's, that's it. Either he rose from the dead, or they stole his body and concocted a lie. That's the only two options you really got. So, let's look at the first option. Maybe they stole his body and concocted a lie. Every one of them died for that lie. How many of you know die for a lie? I don't know about you, but when they're fixed to draw and quarter you, I would say, I could take you where the body is. Right? When they're fixed to light a fire under you and burn you at the stake, I would say, whoa, 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 we were just joking. We were going to see how far we could go with this thing, but I ain't dying for a lie. That's the difference between Islam and Christianity. Islam, you have people who believe that there is a reward if they kill themselves and kill infidels. Where with Christianity, you have eyewitnesses of a resurrection. They don't believe something. They saw something and died for that truth. If you're going to ignore Christianity, you have to ignore that it's not Christianity that's irrational, it might be you that's being irrational. How many people you know die for a lie? Remember when Watergate happened? When they started to put some, some real sentences on those guys and threaten them, they start telling on one another, didn't they? Always does. That's what they always do. They always get somebody in the criminal organization and say, we're going to give you 25 years. You go, wait, 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 wait. I, got, I know him. I know the big boss. Right? And so we have these eyewitnesses accounts that we have to trust. And so sometimes when we use these, these arguments, we are tearing down the very fabric of the thing that helps to save us. So think about it this way. If the apostles were guilty of teaching doctrines in contradiction to Christ's teaching, why should we believe they quoted Christ accurately? You with me? Stay with me. Why should we believe that what the apostles recorded Christ is saying is truly accurate report of Christ's words if the apostles are not trustworthy enough to continue in Christ's teaching? And that's what people who stick with, I'm going to stick with the words of Jesus are saying. That's what they're ultimately saying, that I can't trust the rest of the scripture. Well, you can't learn how to grow in Christ. You can't learn how to work with one another. You don't know what love is. You won't have any guidance whatsoever. And so this is what I find interesting is when the Spirit is working on us to take us into truth, we have to be willing to take that step and trust the Word of God. That's all we have as a response when God is working through us and showing the way. And I think it's clear. I've got 11 pages. I'm not going through all these. But 11 pages from documents outside uh, even apostolic theology that talk about the possibility that Matthew 28, 19 was a later addition, that it wasn't original because none of the disciples ever practiced it. 
When they were told in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus. Think about it this way. I've tried to explain it to people before. If you do believe there are three people, the Father didn't die. Why would you say his name? The Holy Ghost certainly didn't die. Why would you say his name? Only the Son died. We are buried with him in baptism. Who was buried? So we speak his name in baptism because we are identifying with his death, right? We are identifying with him in that. And it's he who was resurrected, right? It's he who was resurrected. And you go out throughout the book of Acts and it's always his name. We pray in his name. We believe in healing in his name. Because he was the one who was sacrificed and died and paid the penalty. And it should be his name on us when we go down in baptism. And if we can't trust what they did, we can't trust what they wrote about him. Because he didn't write about himself. Right? So, why, should, why would they want to accurately report what Jesus said and did if what Jesus said and did was in opposition to what they were teaching and doing? Think about it. So, we, we, we start to unravel the very fabric of truth that is there by unwilling to step in and say, you know what? I see that. That's obvious. That's what the disciples did. Matter of fact, that's what Paul did when Ananias said, rise up, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. That is how they responded to the gospel, by wanting to identify the one that died and resurrected. Amen? Hallelujah. So, maybe they just... I know, I know when I'm dealing with people, they're like, well, maybe they just made it up. Maybe they just misquoted stuff. Think about what you're saying. These are people who died for this truth. These are people who are persecuted. These are people who are put in prison. I mean, at any time, they could have said, this ain't worth it. But they said, I can't deny what I saw. I saw a dead man come back to life. And I can't deny that fact. That is a powerful witness. In no other organization or religion do you have that powerful witness. Right? You don't have that kind of powerful witness. Twelve men who walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus. Matter of fact, in one place, they said, we ate with him. He said, we put our hands in his wounds. I know he, They know it sounds crazy. Believe me. Some of their own people didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's a large contingent of Jewish teachers. But they said, I'm sorry. I know it sounds strange. But I put my hand in the place in his side. I saw his hands. I saw his head. I saw his feet. What do you want me to tell you? I know it's unbelievable. I know it's miraculous. But I saw it with my eyes. You don't have an eyewitness to Buddhism. You don't have an eyewitness. And I know everybody else wants to go, well, how can you say this is true? That's the distinction, is the resurrection and the eyewitnesses of it. And the Bible says 500 saw him alive at one time by many infallible proofs. You don't have that in any other religion. They may be great opportunities in learning. There may be some great truths that correspond, but you don't have a resurrected Savior. 
I want to identify in baptism with the one who died and was raised again. And if you want to talk about the resurrection, I could do that for a while. Because did God raise him from the dead or did he raise himself? He raised himself. Right? He said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down and I will raise it up. Amen. You need to understand the power of that. I know when we're dealing with comparative religion and we live in a culture that like, how can you say that so exclusively? I'm giving you the reasons. I'm not asking you to step out on faith and just believe because I say. I'm giving you the reasons of why it's distinguished from every other religion and why it's easy for me to say it's easy for me to go down in the name of Jesus and be baptized the washing away of my sins and the resurrection into a new life hallelujah praise God for his word I, I was just looking through some of this evidence and I, I don't want to get off too much but this is the encyclopedia of religion and ethics he says as to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, it says it is the central piece of evidence for the traditional triune formula of baptism. He said, if it were undisputed, this would, of course, be decisive, but its trustworthiness is impugned on the grounds of textual criticism, literary criticism, and historical criticism. The same encyclopedia further states this, the obvious explanation of the silence of the New Testament on the triune formula of baptism and the use of Jesus' name in Acts and Paul is that the other formula was earlier and the triune formula was a later addition. That's from the Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics. Edmund Slink on the Doctrine of Baptism, page 28. The baptismal command in Matthew 28, 19 form cannot be the historical origin of Christian baptism. At the very least, it must be assumed that the text has been transmitted in a form or expanded by the Catholic Church. Matter of fact, Eusebius, who was the bishop of, of Caesarea, had a copy of one of the earliest texts of Matthew. And in that copy, it says this, Matthew 28, 9, with one word and voice, he said to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations in my name, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. The name is Jesus. Amen. That's all power in heaven and earth is given to that name. When he returns, it says, at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Hallelujah. So, we have to, we have to be careful with these objections because a lot of times we step into these things and we don't really think out what we're saying. And I understand it's a defensive mechanism because ultimately the issue is I have to give up control of my life. Ultimately, my idea of self-identity and self-determination has to change for me to have right relationship with God. I can't be independent of him, his will, and his word and still be right with him. I have to come under subjection of his authority and his power. And that means I have to accept his word as true. I have to trust it. It's interesting to me when people say, I trust Jesus, but I don't trust his word. You have people do that? How can you say you trust him for salvation when you don't trust him to direct your life? 
What that shows is we want the consequences dealt with, but we don't want the causes dealt with. We need to get back to the word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. There's enough voices out there, but we have the word of God and we need to trust that it is authoritative for us. So, and I've seen other arguments. Some may argue that while the apostle deviated from Christ's teaching, the histories of Christ, they pinned or reliable. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. They either are or they're not. They, they all fall together. And this is what I try to tell people about, you know, they're always telling me, well, men wrote those stories. True, men wrote the stories. You're exactly right, as they were moved on by God. But they wrote history too, but you're not skeptical of history. Why? Why are you not skeptical of history? You weren't there. You don't know if Abraham Lincoln was the president or not. You can't confirm it, but somebody told you that. You know why you don't argue about that? Because you don't have to change your life if Abraham was the 16th president. You don't, you don't have to change your life. You don't, you don't have to repent. You don't have to give up control. You can just go, I assent to that. That's great. Wonderful. Love the history of the United States or the world. And that's, that's, what we, that's what we try to deal with to try to maintain control and still assent to things. I'm here to tell you that there has to come a time in our walk with God that we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you or I can't trust you. There has to be that moment in our walk with God where I trust your word, that you've preserved it. Yes, men have had their perspective on it and you moved on them, but you preserved what was necessary for me to be saved and be changed. And I'm thankful for that and I trust it. Amen. I have faced, I've placed my life on this. I don't know about you. I got my whole weight on this. I got my whole weight on God's work at the cross that that's enough. Because if I have to depend on me, I'm in trouble. I don't know about y'all, but I'm in trouble if I have to depend on me. If I have to be holy enough and good enough, but my weight is completely on the work that he's done on my behalf and his active obedience that has been credited to me, that's what I've put my weight on. You can't live for God any other way. You can't have joy any other way. The only way you can be free is to fully trust that the Word of God will lead you to right relationship with Him. Amen? It must be recognized that the Gospels are not a mere history or biography of Christ, but a theological history. Even the casual observer will notice that the Gospels do not always record Jesus' words in the same way, nor his events in the same order. They were from a different perspective. Mark and Luke, John, Matthew, all from a different perspective. And they're not all in the same wording because they are, are doing different theological things and a different audience. If their theology was contradictory to Christ. Why should we trust the theological history they penned involving Christ's words? We should have every reason to believe they manipulated his words to say what they wanted them to say, not what Jesus actually said or meant to say in those words. And that's what you start dealing with. It sounds easy where it's flippant. Well, I'm just going to stick with the words of Jesus. Well, you've destroyed the whole thing because he didn't write an autobiography. And everything you know about him, someone else told you. And if you can't trust them, you can't trust him. Then you got no Bible and you got no salvation. So, 
Let me, let me skip down here for a minute. Some people say, well, Paul, you know, Paul, he, he had his own little thing going, you know. He's different. I want you to realize that the Old Testament is the foundation for everything you've got in the New Testament. And that, that everything that he wrote to the churches depended on that Old Testament. I see a lot of people say, we need to unleash ourselves from the Old Testament. Do you know how many times I saw a graph recently? There are 613,000 cross references in the Word of God. 613,000. I saw it on a spectrum of light going like this. Somebody had a representation of it. Do you realize how many times it refers back to itself? That scripture interprets scripture, 613, written over thousands of years, different authors, but they all revert back to one another. And even the end of the book that you would think is sequential would not revert back to the beginning, but it does. And the beginning reverts back to the top. And so it's all integrated in one organic whole. That's why you can't mess with one part of it. You destroy everything. When you mess with one part, there are people today who say, well, I just don't know. I can't believe in the God of hell. I just think, I, I can't believe in that. Well, if you can't believe in a God of hell, you destroy the cross. Well, what was that word about then? If there was no danger to be saved from, why did he have to come and die? If sin is not that big of an issue, you start destroying these other documents and doctrines that are connected to it. And you have nothing to hold on to. You have to trust it fully or you have nothing to trust. All right? And I... I know this is kind of getting wonky on you, but I'm trying to help you here today because I see people throw up their hands and I was like, there's got to get back to a place where we say, Lord, I trust your word. I trust the promises of God. I trust that you kept it. And Lord, I may not understand it all, but I trust that word and I trust my life on it. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Peter recognized that, you know, as far as Paul's, because Peter recognized that some individuals twisted Paul's words to make them mean something Paul did not mean to convey, resulting in the destruction of those individuals. The corollary is that Paul's words were interpreted correctly. They result in one salvation. They, he came to Jerusalem. They met him. They understood that he was called and preaching the gospel. And they gave him the right hand of fellowship. So they were all in one mind and one accord. Peter went on to tell his readers to be on guard that they would not be led away by such men who twist Paul's words into error, falling from the truth. Apparently, Peter was convinced that what Paul taught was true, not error and deception. Think about that for a moment. These different authors, different backgrounds, different times, different words, all coming back, cross-referencing one another building on that foundation. You know what that shows me? I don't mind if people doubt the word, but I want them to, I want them to wrestle with it. Because I find if you wrestle with it, it'll start to speak to you. Just open it up and start to wrestle with it, and it'll start to speak to you. And then all of a sudden, you'll realize there's a divine mind behind it. And it's not just the words of men, because it starts reading you. You're not reading it anymore. It starts reading you. Right? You start feeling conviction. You start realizing, wait a minute, this is truth. And I always try to tell people that we're in a place in our culture where we think we can bend reality. 
Technology has gone so far, we think we can bend reality. But here's what I'm going to tell you. The way God ordered reality to work, it's going to snap back. It's going to snap back on you. You can say, well, I can fly. You can take off off this building and tell me you can. But when you hit the ground, it's going to be a different thing. And you can say, I can avoid the word of God and I can avoid the authority of God. But it will not go well with you because you were designed to live within its parameters and be blessed by and be directed and guided by and have relationship with God through it. There's a lot of people, with, and I, I know one of the big ones I always hear from people is, what's the big deal? What's wrong with it? It's the wrong question. It's short-sighted. The question is, where does it lead? It's not what's wrong with it. Where does it lead? Does it lead me closer to God? Does it lead me in more intimate relationship? That's the question. Where does it lead? And, and, and understand this. You're dealing with a mind that created the world, that stepped out and spoke things to existence. There ought to be a little bit of humility in our culture about when we read it. A little bit of adoration, okay? Instead, oh, I don't know about that. And, and, I, and I don't know if I, I understand all that. And How can one religion be exclusive? I've told you, because of the eyewitnesses and the resurrection. That's how it can be exclusive and trusted. Let me, let me skip down here. I got too many notes and not enough time. I always tell people it's entirely arbitrary to accept the Gospels as true reports of Christ's teaching and yet reject, reject Paul or Peter or anyone else's writing as distortions and heresy. It is also arbitrary to accept the gospel writer's accounts of Christ's words as accurate and yet believe the apostles strayed from Christ's teaching themselves, possibly in the book of Acts. It's just arbitrary. It's a defense mechanism. That's what it is. We're seeing the truth. We're being convinced of the truth. But then we're like, well, is it, that's not that big a deal. I don't know if you're God... I, one thing I'm glad about God is he didn't give us a multiple choice exam and just say, oh, it was B, sorry you picked you pick D. He gave us a true or false. Either I'm trustworthy and I know what I'm doing and, and I'm in authority or I'm not. Thank God. I think only an unloving God would give us a multiple choice and, and D is all of the above. Right? Because that's what a lot of us believe. All of these uh, religions are just the same and they teach a little bit of a different thing here and there. there. There is some spillover. But none of them have a God who robed himself in flesh and came and died for your sins. That is unique to Christianity. Who said, I love you so much that I'm going to leave heaven, take on the form of a man, divest myself of my glory and power, and die on your behalf out of love for you and out of your well-being. That is distinct. You don't get that anywhere else. You don't get that anywhere else. And in order to have right relationship with him, there has to be repentance. There has to be baptism in his name. And there has to be the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I still believe those truths. Amen. Anybody else believe that on a Wednesday night? Stand with me. Hallelujah. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, I encourage you. We'll get, that, we'll get that baptismal tank ready, and we'll get you involved. 
But I want to help you in your, I want to help you in your outreach. I want to help you this year. I've, I've committed to God. I'm going to win people. I'm going to disciple people. I'm going to send people. That's the three things I'm going to do. I'm going to win people. I'm going to disciple people. And I'm going to send people. That's what I'm going to do. And I want you to join me. I want to turn this church into a place where we're about others, where we're reaching others, where we're loving others, where we're discipling others and, and loving and in, encouraging them to grow in God. I believe we can do that. How many believe that? We can do that. That's the will of God. That regardless of what's going on in the past and whether you've been involved or not, God wants to use you now in this end hour. And he brought you into the church and gave you these truths, not to debate them, but to share them. Not just to understand them, but to share them. And there is a great move of the Spirit in our time. Not just here in our land, but people who are seeing the power of the truth of the gospel. And I pray that God would raise up an army of people who are not ashamed of the name of Christ who are not ashamed. Amen. And I'm telling you, here's what's coming in, in the earth. You're going to find this out. That if you stand for Christ, you're going to take some nicks. There's going to be people that won't understand you. You may not be popular. If you stand against some of the trends in our culture, they might say you're intolerant. I think you can be loving and still stand for truth. Amen. I think you can love others and still stand for truth. But we're in, a, we're in a time where everybody says, this is the way it is. If you don't see it that way, you're a bigot or you're whatever else. If that's difficult for you, it might be difficult living for God. I was reading. I don't remember what the person's name. Oh, I know what it is. It's, I think her name is Cameron Buer. She was on Full House years ago. And I think she had moved to another uh, thing. And I think she said something like, they asked her if they thought that network would have any LGBTQ plus stuff, you know, or any uh, storylines like that. And all she said was, no, I think they'll probably stick to a traditional value. She was skewered over that. Just skewered. I mean, over that statement right there. I mean, that's where we are. You can't just say, no, I think that their programming is geared this way. She didn't say her personal views about it. She didn't throw anybody under the bus. She said, no, I think where I'm working that the predominant, you know, narrative will probably be the traditional view of marriage and family. And she has just been pilloried online. Okay? And so you, you want to tell me that we're the... That, that Christians are the judgmental ones. Say something out of line today. Say something out of line and see what happens. Go on to Twitter and pop something off. You know what I mean? And see if there's not a, a, a red group, you know, on there saying, hey, you know what I mean? You need just to sit down and shut up. You know what I mean? You're intolerant. You don't know what you're talking about. And so that's the world in which we live. And so I'm praying that God would give us strength in this hour strength to stand for the word of God Father we pray in your mighty name that you move over us tonight Lord God move on the saints of God we know God we don't have to be unloving or unkind but we have to stand for you Lord God and in ways the word of God is going to come into contrast with our culture 
Help us to love our culture, God, but stand for the word of God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be a witness in this end hour, to reach out to those who are lost and encourage them to come to Christ. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet one another in Jesus. Hey, thanks for listening to Northgate Pentecostal. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube, and you can watch the video of the message you just listened to. God bless y'all. Thank you.